Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. I, I know you came looking to be encouraged, but before, we, before I encourage you, I just want to be honest with you. This is part of your journey. If you are going to try to do anything, or if you're going to try to turn anything around in your life, um, there's going to be some resistance to that. And actually, that's part of the plan. Jesus said, I will build my church. He is building his church, and he says, then the gates of hell will come against my church, but because I have built it so tough, I have built it so strong, it will be tougher than the best that hell has to bring against it. And so that's the kind of church I believe Jesus is building. I believe that's the kind of people that God is building right here and right now here in City Chapel. God is building people who are, who are tougher than hell, who are tougher than all that hell has to throw against them. And uh, many of us are still in the building process, but I, I, I want to encourage you to keep on walking through the building process. Much of this sermon series is simply helping you identify uh, a new way to look at difficulty, to, to see difficulty differently. Uh, we all have difficulty in our lives, but we have to start seeing difficulty differently. And so the passage that we've been looking at is Romans chapter 8. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 37 is our, is, is our key passage. And this is Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, letting us know some things that are going to come after us, that are going to come at us. And he says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That is, uh, by the way, that is the goal of the enemy. That is the goal of Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. The enemy of your soul is not out to destroy your life. He's not out to make you sick and miserable. He is, his main goal is to separate you, to separate me from the love of Christ. He cannot stop Christ from loving us. And so his goal is to disconnect us from Christ's love. This is the tactic of the enemy. But the way that he does that, look, it says, shall tribulation. We talked about that last week. Tribulation means oppressing or pressure. Anybody ever been under any pressure in their life? Uh, pressure, constant pressure weighing down on us. That's tribulation. Shall tribulation, he says, or distress, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And verse 37 says, yet in all of these things, not outside of these things, not being delivered from these things, but in all of these things, would you, would you just shout this out with me? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. What does it mean to be a more than conqueror? Well, it means it's a hyper conqueror. Uh, and it, and it, means, it means that we are uh, not only conquerors because Christ has already won the battle. He has already conquered. But to overconquer or to hyperconquer means to take captive and then to enslave. So, so what, what, what Scripture is telling us is that in all of these things we have already won, that we understand. However, God still has a purpose for all of these things. God uses these things. God enslaves these things. He makes these things work 
for us instead of against us. And so many of us have these things in our life that are, we feel are working against us. But part of my mission today is to help you see difficulty differently, to help you understand that in the middle of what the enemy is trying to do in your life, in the middle of the opposition that you are facing, the way I said it a couple weeks ago is that, is that the enemy has a weapon and God has a tool. And it's often the same thing. A weapon in the hand of your enemy can be a tool in the hand of your God. That God will often recruit your enemy to help bring healing to you. Now, 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 you know, if, 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 you, if you're walking down a dark alley and you see somebody uh, with a ski mask on and he's coming at you with a knife, <laughs> that is an enemy. You should run. He wants to hurt you with the knife. Uh, however, if you are going, being wheeled into an operating room and they're about to put you under anesthesia and you see a doctor come in with all of these blades, you really ought to just relax and allow the doctor to do what he's going to do because he is going to help you. He's going to bring healing to you. Same tool, a knife, blades, different purpose behind it. And so God will often use the, the, the weapon that the enemy brings into your life. He'll use it as a tool to help build you and make you tougher than hell. <laughs> make you stronger. He wants to build us, not break us. Uh, the enemy wants to break us, but God wants to build us. And so uh, I, I want to look at that word distress. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at all these negative things. So you really ought to stick around and come to church every Sunday because it's going to be so encouraging. Um, basically, listen to Caleb all week so that you're happy. And then when you come here, you know, you'll go, you, you have to go get some more Caleb therapy afterward. And, uh, you know, but, but hey, you need a little balance in your life. I figured you needed some balance. So we need a little dose of reality. And I love how scripture doesn't shy away from reality. Scripture doesn't, doesn't pull back and, and paint this beautiful sunset of your life following Jesus. Oh, it's just going to be rosy and wonderful and beautiful. No, this is, what, this is what you can expect. Distress. Distress. Paul says you will face distress. You will face tribulation. You will face distress. Distress in the English dictionary is great pain or anxiety. This is, this is interesting because all of the other words are external words. He says, shall tribulation, that's pressing from the outside. Uh, shall peril, that's danger in, somewhere out there. Shall, uh, what is it, famine, that's clearly on the outside of you. Nakedness having to do with the outside of your body. You, you can't even afford to buy clothes. It's poverty. Uh, all of the things that he is mentioning, persecution, somebody attacking you from the outside, yet this is the only word that has to do with something inside of your soul. Because anxiety is inside. Sorrow is inside. Sometimes, sometimes the storm isn't just out there. Maybe I'm just preaching too real and nobody really wants to amen. You know what? If you, if you amen me, then everyone will think I'm not actually talking to you. If you're like, yeah, amen, preach it, pastor, then they'll, they'll, they'll think you don't struggle with this. So just go ahead and knock yourself out and nobody will know. You know, it's always that person who's like, amen. And it's like, I was talking to you, dude. But whatever. Uh, it, it's like, you know, maybe sometimes when you preach too real, people get all uncomfortable and go, what's he going to say? Well, look, this is, this is reality. Sometimes the storm is not outside of you. You. Sometimes the storm is inside of you. Sometimes anxiety 
can grip the heart of a Christian. Well, I thought Christians were supposed to smile all the time and be happy all the time. No, this is not. No, those are people who are taking pills to make this. This is chemical help to get that way. This is, this is real life, that there is anxiety. If you are going to walk with Jesus, you're going to face a feelings of anxiety, feelings of distress, great pain, sorrow, acute physical or mental suffering. That is on the inside. That is not on the outside. It doesn't mean that your finances are necessarily falling apart. It means that inside of your head, there is distress. You've heard of a damsel in distress, right? Like she's been picked up by, by King Kong and she's about to get her head bit off, you know? Like that's distress. People in the, in the, Gulf, of, of, uh, the Gulf of Texas right now are in distress. They, they've lost everything. They don't know. They, they, they go back to their homes and it's completely wiped out. They're in distress. They, that, that feeling of hopelessness or, or brokenness or, or anxiety, a state of extreme necessity or misfortune. And number three, the state of a ship or airplane requiring immediate assistance as when on fire. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like an airplane on fire? We're just flying along and the wing is blazing of my life. <laughs> That's not a good sign. There's fuel on that plane. That's not healthy. Distress. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we can have a picture of, of, way, of the way we should be and we end up feeling guilty about the way that we are. And so if I don't do anything else today, I want to let you know it's okay to be under distress. You have not stopped becoming a Christian just because you have distress in your mind and in your heart. Now, I know the enemy would love to tell you that because he's trying to disconnect you from the love of Christ. So he brings distress and he comes right up and he says, man, if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't feel that way. If you really believed in God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, your hands wouldn't be trembling like that. <laughs> That's what, because his goal is not to distress you. His goal is to distress you so that he can disconnect you. So my title of the sermon today is Distressed But Not Defeated. Distressed But Not Defeated. It is possible to suffer distress without suffering defeat. It is possible to live with this right here that Scripture tells us is coming at us. And if you haven't experienced it, just, just, just live a few minutes and you will. It, it, it is possible. You, you, we, we, I, I, I imagine that we are facing more distress in this day and age than, than we've faced like in, 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 in years and a good amount of that is because of the media keeps telling us that we ought to be distressed, right? And because they're trying to get clicks so that they can get ratings, so that they can sell to advertisers who can sell us pills to help us with the distress that they... Anyway, never mind. Uh, but that's just, you know, that's, that's part of the, the culture, the waves that are out there. But that doesn't talk necessarily about the waves that are in here. Because the truth is, those, those reports and those, the, the media and, and all of that kind of thing, they can't make you feel anything. Nobody can make you feel anything in your own mind. Nobody can force your heart. There's something about our hearts and our minds that we choose to allow stress to become distress and become inside of our, the, we allow the storm to rage in here. 
And we don't necessarily want to, but, but distress comes to all of us. And, and, and the English word for, for, for distress is this right here. But uh, the original language of the scripture, the Greek language, the word distress is interesting that it follows the word tribulation. By the way, the, the, this word is only used four times in the Bible. And every time it's used, it's used in a long list of negative or seemingly negative things. There's four other times this word is used, and two out of those four, it's used directly after the word tribulation, which tribulation means pressing or to, to, to experience pressure or, or like walls closing in on you, life pressing in on you. Well, the word distress means to live within a small space. So, it, so it's kind of a, a correlation. It comes after tribulation. If you live with tribulation long enough, the pressing in of life, the pressure of life, you will, you, you will eventually live within a, a small space. And so uh, 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 King, what is it, King Louis the Eleventh in 1400 and something or other, uh, he developed a prison, uh, a dungeon, or, or rather like sections of his dungeon that he called, and I don't know French, I, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but he basically called it a narrow space. It's uh, and, and it's, uh, uh, <laughs> I may have added a little bit to it, but you know, and, and it, was, it was these holding cells that were about like a foot and a half um, wide by, by about three feet uh, a foot and a half deep by about three feet wide and about six feet deep. And, um, and actually, I have a little picture of it from, from, from like an old medieval castle. But uh, the, the, the top of it anyway, it was, it was, it was called a narrow space. And so, so he, would, he, would, he would place a lot of his political uh, prisoners and victims in that kind of prison. Because it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a narrow space. It's a, it's, it's a distressing position. It's a, it's a difficult position, and so that's why I've, I've constructed this thing right here, because this is sort of my, my ubelete de haya. This is, this, is, this, is, this is just to give you a visual, because I think sometimes, you know, we can, we, can, we, can, we can think better when we see more clearly, and so the scripture says that distress is going to come upon us, which means we are going to, for some time, there are times in our lives, and I'm not saying all the time, but there are times in our lives when we live sort of like, 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 like this. Without much space, like, like I have really broad shoulders, so I can't even, and it's because all my muscles, but I, I, you know, I, I can't even go this way. Like, I have to go sideways into it. There's, there's, some, there's some places in life you can't even stand like how you would normally stand <laughs> because that's, you're just not comfortable. So you have to, like, you have to adjust even the way you breathe. There's some, there's, there's, there's some times in life when, when, when you feel like the walls are, closing in on you and you are you are you you are at your max you are at your limit and you're just standing still now the the burn about this is that you cannot sit down you know what i mean like you can never you can never you can never rest like you're always standing or leaning or or cramped your cramps are developing all throughout your neck and your back and the chiropractors are not liking this and if anybody suffers with claustrophobia they're probably not they're turning away right now because this is not, 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 not healthy. And, and this is not how we were meant to live, but this is one of the things that the enemy brings to us. The enemy brings distress into our lives. He, allow, he brings distress into our lives to close the walls in, to, to, to shrink the space of our lives so that, so that everywhere we turn, everywhere we look, we, 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 we only see the limits 
of, of our capabilities. We see the limits of what we should be, but we're not. We see the limits of, of what our marriage could be, but it's not, of what our kids might be. But, but it seems like sometimes there's just no space. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever experienced this, but, but, but has, has anybody ever been in a place where there's just, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, like the littlest thing, just like the littlest thing, like sitting down, that's a little thing. Like just the littlest thing is stressful. Just the littlest thing is y- y- like you got to, <laughs> the smallest conversation with your spouse don't look around right now. Don't, 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 don't say amen. This is not a time to say amen. Just FYI. But sometimes it's even the smallest thing, like, like five minutes late home from work. You know, like the littlest, like, like things that never would have been. You used to have a lot of space in here. You used to have a lot of room. There used to be a lot of give and take. But when you're under distress, there's no, there's no give and there's no take. There's no space. There's, there's no, you're, you're, you're constantly positioning and dancing around topics. <laughs> and, and that's just in relationships. But, but, some, but sometimes in our finances, we have absolutely no space. And we miss one day of work and the walls are closing in on us. We miss, we, we, we get one speeding ticket and we cannot survive because we have absolutely no wiggle room, absolutely no space absolutely nothing we we are we are we are so hemmed in that when we even thinking about or you know we're thinking about going going out to eat we have to like measure out well how much do we have left for the rest of the week if we're going to go out to eat now because there's absolutely no space there's no chance just to rest you know you know how difficult it is to live like this you can't even take a breath and just because you're always like this and sometimes it's grief, sometimes it's sorrow, sometimes it's the loss of a loved one that sticks you in this tight place and the littlest thing is offensive to you and the littlest thing just, just, just breaks you and the waves just come over you and you didn't even, you, you, you were just watching a commercial and it's just you got no space. You have no space. Sometimes it's a, it's a living situation. We lived in a shack for a year after we flooded. We lived in the little remnants of our flood house. And uh, we were in sharing a living room. Uh, we were sleeping in the, di- in the kitchen, me and Ro, on a bed in the kitchen. And the kids were sleeping in the living room on bunks. And everything was always in boxes. Everything was always in plastic totes. Because whenever it rained, water was going to come in. And sometimes you don't even realize how stressful that is to live like this. That every time the radar shows some kind of rain coming, you, you pull everything up and put it on top of the table and you get your kids ready to evacuate. You almost don't understand just how, how difficult that makes it because you get used to no space. You just, you just get used to just living like this. And I'm afraid some of us are so used to living right here that, that the enemy brought distress into our lives and we thought this is just how life is. This is just how relationships are. This is just how finances are. Of course, I'm never going to own a home. How could I own a home? I can't even make my, 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 my rent payments. Well, yeah, there's, there's no space. And we get stuck in this cycle of distress. And, it, and it, you don't even understand the burden it puts on your mind. You don't even understand how stressful it is. I remember the first night that we actually got into our new house that we built. And uh, there was carpet on the floor. We hadn't had carpet or even flooring. For a year, we had cement slab, and dirt was coming up through the cement slab because it was this old slab, you know, it was just this old slab. And, and, and so, you know, we would wash it and scrub it, and then, like, the next day there would be dirt. And so you wouldn't, you wouldn't wear, you, you always have to wear shoes in the house 
Until you hop in bed, you kick your shoes off, and then you climb in bed. And, and, and you, you, you get used to the stress. You get used to the little space. And, and, and you don't even understand how heavy it is. Don't even understand what it's like to just come out and be able to sit down and just, you know, relax. And, and uh, you guys just go ahead and just hang out what you're doing. I'm just relaxing. Sometimes you need just, just some space because you're stuck. There's a reason why that's a torture chamber. There's a reason why that's illegal now to put people in stuff. Because it's, it's, it, it, affects, it affects the inside. Like, it's, it's, it's a narrow space. And you think, oh, I, I can live with it, I can live with it, I can live with it. But you don't understand what it's doing in here. That's why it's also translated anxiety. It's also translated sorrow. Because your little space of your living condition of your life that the enemy has brought against you and that God has allowed in your life can, if you're not careful, can affect what happens on the inside. What happens on the inside. Philippians 4. I would like to read some from Philippians 4 because I feel like many of us are stuck in anxiety. And I don't mean clinical anxiety. I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you about chemicals and stuff, but, but, I, do, but I do believe that, that many of us are living in, in narrow spaces and it's affecting, like sometimes, sometimes it feels a little, um, as a pastor, it feels a little discouraging because I get 45 minutes every Sunday and yet you've been 24-7 like this and you, and, and you hear a little word, a little perspective, a little different idea about God and from his word for 45 minutes, and then you have 24-7 of this. And I see people, they, they want to go forward. They want to get closer to God, but they're, 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 they, they feel like they've tried everything. Like, that's, that's what happens when your space narrows. It's like, well, I tried this, I tried that. I remember one time when, uh, about six years ago, Ro and I were, were, were having some arguments in our marriage. And that, that was my prayer to God. God, I tried this, I tried that, that didn't work, and that didn't work, and that didn't work. Because that's, that's what happens when the walls close in on you. you. All you see are your limitations. All you see are the stuff that didn't work, and that didn't work, and I tried it, and it didn't work, so why do, why do I try? What, what, what can happen is if we learn to live like this, we learn to uh, uh, experience what psychologists call learned helplessness. We just, we just give up. We just quit trying. We just we just stand for the rest of our life, and it breaks us down, and we're weary, and we're tired. But we're so scared of, of, of this, even when we're not claustrophobic. That's why, that's, why, uh, that's why people are freaking out about the gas, because they don't want to live like this. You know what I mean? Because if, you, if your, your truck isn't full of gas, you might not be able to go anywhere tomorrow. <gasps> I have to stay home and watch football all day, like you're doing anyway. But you know, you know what I'm saying. But but it's, people freak out when they feel like their walls are closing in, limitations are pressing in, and so we got to go get a lot of gas because we might want to go somewhere. And unfortunately, it takes away all the gas from all the emergency responders that are actually trying to go places and help people, and they can't. Like, we were going to go to, 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 to Victoria yesterday, and we couldn't because all the gas was gone because multiple Suburbans were full of gas sitting in their driveway watching college football. But 
Anyway, that's, that's, that's a whole nother sermon. That's a whole nother sermon. But we're scared of this. We don't want, no, hey, whoa, 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 I need to get some gas. I was out Friday night. I went out, I didn't know there was a gas thing. And um, so I, Friday night about nine o'clock, I was like, I feel like a blizzard from Dairy Queen. So I got in the car. Rose like, there's not much gas in the car. I'm like, I'll get some. And uh, I drive down to Kyle, get, it was buy one, get one, 99 cents. So I got two for the price anyway. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, and I'm like, there's no gas, like gas station closed, 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 super long line. That's dumb. Uh, gas station closed, closed, closed. And I'm like, what in the world? I got four miles left and I pull off at my brother's exit and pull up to his house with two miles left till empty, you know, on the little, little readout thing. And uh, luckily, Eddie helped me out and poured some lawnmower gas, which got me to this little station. There was a line. And so about 11 o'clock, I'm staying there pumping. And like, people are ticked off. Like, there was a dude, he got out. He's like, I'm going to get my gun and shoot these. Beepity, beep, beep. And I'm like, I'm not an expert on firearms and gas stations, but I don't think that's a good idea for anybody here. Like, could you get a knife or something? And you know what I mean? A little less explosive. Chill out, dude. Like, we're just in line getting gas. That's what you do this week. But, but, but that's because they live right here. And the smallest thing, waiting 20 minutes for gas, just, I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. The smallest little comment that somebody posts about them on Facebook and they start freaking out because they are so, they are so tight. The smallest offense that the spouse does to you or your, or your kids do to you, suddenly you just, you can't handle it because you're, you have no space absolutely no grace in your life, no, no room for anything else. I can't take anything else. I, not one more complaint. Now, kids, now don't talk to me about that one more time. If you mention that one, just go ahead. Just go ahead. Say one more word to me. Just try it. One more. <laughs> I was like that this week. I had about 10 people from the church message me about the same thing. I, I have one more person. I swear one more person. I'm going to go off and lose my sanctification and everything. Because it's like uh, the first time I was like, well, you know. The second time I was like, well, you know. The third time I was like, hmm, don't you know. The fourth time, for the love of all that's human, figure it out, people. It's like, oh. And then by the 10th time, I was just, uh, so, okay, click. Um, just, I'm not, because it's, the walls creep in on you, and you, you're, you have no space. And that's fine for, for a time. That's fine for a season. And I believe God actually puts us, allows us to go into situations where we don't have as much space as we used to, and that's part of his plan. Because in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 or 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing. He doesn't, mean, he doesn't say, don't feel anxious, don't ever feel anxious. He says, don't be anxious. Feeling anxious is when you're in a situation like this and you feel the pressure of that. You better believe Jesus felt anxious when he was getting ready to go to the cross. He was sweating drops of blood. Some anxiety, a little bit. You feel it, but don't be it. Don't be anxious. You can, you can feel it. Don't be it. Don't, don't let it become a part of you. Don't let it become a part of your natural reaction. Don't let it, how even when things are going good, you still expect something to crash and burn because you are anxious. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. And how do I do that? How do I, how do I live with some distress? How do I live with, with seasons in my life when things are, are tight? 
When things are, when corners are tight, when I'm painted into a corner, as we would say now, nowadays, how do I live in those seasons and not allow it to affect who I am? This is how you do it. In everything, prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, those three things. And since I'm a preacher, we got to go prayer, petition, and praise because we got the three Ps because that'll help you remember. Not really, but I just like to imagine that it does. The prayer helps me remember. <laughs> the prayer... And petition, that's supplication, that's asking God for things. And thanksgiving, that's praise. One of the, one of the things that, that will help you live in this situation without this situation living in you is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is obviously different than petitions or supplication. Otherwise, the two words wouldn't be there together. Prayer is not just asking God for stuff. Prayer is seeking and submitting to the will of God. In every situation of your life, in every area of your life, even when you are in distress, prayer is seeking and submitting to the will of God. So the question is not, how do I, how do I get this out? See, this is, this, this is, this is what happens when you're stuck in, in, in tight corners, is all you can see is what's your limitation. And you spend so much time focusing on this. And how do I get around this? And, and I, I, I would have blocked this in, but then I wouldn't have been able to preach. But, you know, like this side gets blocked in, that side gets blocked in. And you, 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 you tried everything, like I talked about earlier. Like you tried going that way, that didn't work. You tried going this way, that didn't work. You tried turning around, that didn't work. You tried climbing out, that didn't work. You try, you, like you're, you're, you're constantly trying to get around, to get outside of the pressure, to get outside of the narrowness. You're looking everywhere. You're looking down. You're looking around. The answer is to look up because there is one space that is clear. There is one, even in King Louis's little, little chamber, there's one direction that you can look. And this is, this is what prayer is. Prayer is, is refusing to, to focus on what is in front of me, what is below me, what is behind me, what is beside me. Prayer is deciding to live like this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. That, that sometimes I think God allows our lives to get more narrow because when it was wider, we were looking all over here. And we were looking at those people and those people, and we were checking out those people and nice glasses, by the way. I like that. And, uh, you know, man, where'd you get that shirt? Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. A little salt and pepper, too. The haircut, your chicken. And because, because, because when you're in an open place, you're not looking up because you don't need God. You're cool. You're good. Everything's good. You got your dreams. You got your ambitions. Where are we going? We're going over there. We could go over there. I mean, I think those people like me. Those people are kind of like, we got a new camera today because we're going to be on TV uh, this week. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. Myron's rocking out the camera. And you're able, you're able to check out all this stuff. And you just chill and you relax and you just lay back and all of your needs are met and all of your needs are cared for. It's like, it's like, it's just like you're on a honeymoon, right? Like in the, the marriage thing. It's like there's a, the honeymoon phase, but, but you, can't, you can't live there because that's not real. Kids don't grow up in a family that's on honeymoon. <laughs> they shouldn't. That's not healthy. You got to come back to life. You got to you got to get a job. You got to go to work. You got to you got to raise children. You have to go through the hard things, the difficult things. And so when the walls start coming in, I think God uses this time to help remind us who we really need. 
Because God, I was doing okay, like before this came in, and then before that came in, and then before those people came into my life, and then before that happened, and I was doing fine. And if we could just move this, if we could just move that, then I would be fine again. No, no, the answer is not here. It's not there. It's not in front of you or behind you. It is above you that God is the one who supplies your needs. God is the one who, God is your provider. God is your protector. God is the giver of your peace. God is the maintainer of your life. It is, it is not your bank account, and it is not your friend list, and it is not even your church. Because a lot of times you walk into church and everything's, wow, this is the best church in the world, even though we only claim to be the world's okayest church. But people still, oh, this is the best church. But then they get involved in the church, and they're like, well, maybe it is just the okayest, you know? And that's, you know, that's life. <laughs> people aren't getting saved because I'm a genius. People getting saved because God is doing something. And the more I can get you to look up, and rely on the one who is and who was and who is to come, the one who is above you, who is greater than you, who is higher than you, then that's a good thing. Thank God for these limits. Thank God you learned to love your limitations. Because if it wasn't for my limitation, I never would have looked up. I was good on my own. I was fine on my own, I thought. Prayer is to seek and submit to the will of God. Supplication is to make requests to him, to call on him, to let him know your need for him, to say, I need God. Petition is asking God for his help, asking God for his grace. By the way, supplication and petition all have to do with you. So, so you, can't, you, can't, you can't supplicate for somebody else. You can't, that's called intercession when you're praying for other people. But supplication is where you bring your needs to God. So you stop praying about this and this, whatever that is, your lack of finances, your mother-in-law, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever that is, you stop praying about the lack of gas. Lord, I just need, that. I just need some, some gas right here at this, at this, at this intersection. If, if you could make that light turn green for me so I don't have to stop. You stop praying about the stuff that's hedging you in, and you start praying about the you that's in the middle. God, I need to change. Because this isn't moving. That's not, I can't control the economy. I can't figure out who's president. It's not my job. I, I can't control Congress. This is, this, I can't do anything about the media. I can't do anything about, about the situation that I find myself in. And, 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 and I mean, my kids are my kids, and there's no way to get rid of my kids. I have my kids. I had my kids, and now I will have my kids probably until the day that I die. And, and so I'm going to have to learn how to change me without necessarily moving these things. Something's got to shift inside of me. Something's got to change. God, I need, I need you. That's supplication. And finally, Thanksgiving. I guarantee if you're feeling stressed, I guarantee that, that your, your stress began the day your gratefulness left. I'm pretty sure if you, if, you, if you dial back the clock and you rewind a little bit, you would find that your stress really amped up, really began the day your gratefulness left. I've never met a grateful, stressed person. 
I just, I just haven't met them. Maybe they're out there somewhere. I don't know. I've never met a person who is so thankful for what God has done for them and what God has given to them and what they did not deserve, but what Jesus did anyway, just because he's good. And, 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 and then still they're worried about tomorrow. I've never, I've never met them. Typically, you only have so much real estate in your mind, and if most of it is occupied with anxiety and with what's in front of you and with what's blocking you and what's stopping you, then you start complaining. You cease to be thankful, which is why Scripture says you've got to pray, yes, and intercede to God for yourself, absolutely, and then be thankful. Thank God. Yeah, but, yeah, but should, I, should, I, should I thank Him for the boxes? I don't know. And try that if you like. How about how like how about just thanking him for 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 what he's done in you up till this point? If you if you have no idea what the future holds and you are scared to death of tomorrow, you can at least turn around. You can at least turn around and say, This is what God has done for me. This is what God has provided for me. This is where God has brought me from. So sometimes you may, maybe, maybe the future is scary and you just can't deal with that, but you can thank God for the past and you can thank God for the present. And honestly, honestly, if you could get a little faith, you could thank God that he's doing stuff that you can't see him doing when you're in your, your box. That God is not limited by the things that limit you. God's not affected by those limitations, which is what it means when it says, and the peace of God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Now, unfortunately, if you've been in the church for 30 seconds, you've heard this passage, and you've probably heard it preached wrong, and so I'm going to preach it right today. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, I, there are probably many different trans, uh, in, in interpretations of this passage, but that word surpasses, notice it does not say bypasses. Sometimes uh, I, I grew up in church, and so people would say, well, the peace of God that, that passes all understanding will just, whoosh, and you'll have peace, and you won't even know how it got there. Because it, it like, bypasses understanding. But that's not what it means. 